The material presented in this podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. For legal issues that arise, the listener should consult legal counsel. conversation about employment law and how it works for and possibly against those it is meant to serve. We hope to enlighten and inform anyone affected by employment law, and if you work or employ those who do, this means you. Works for Me is a production of the North Carolina Bar Association's Labor and Employment Section. I'm Will Oden, an employment attorney based in Wilmington, North Carolina. With me today are fellow employment attorneys Nina Parati and Grant Osborne. Hey there, Will. Hi, hey, Brent. Hey, Will. Hey, Nina. Before we dive in, guys, tell the audience a little bit about yourselves. Uh, well, the, the short answer is that I'm a plaintiff's employment law. So what I do every day is primarily represent employees in all kinds of um, situations involving their employer, from helping them navigate a difficult situation behind the scenes to actually surfacing and... Uh, bringing forth claims against the employer for violating any of a number of federal laws or state uh, statutes that protect their uh, employment uh, situations. And then Grant, you're almost on the opposite side of that coin, correct? Uh, Typically, yes. I'm an employment lawyer in North Carolina. I've been doing this for decades now, I can say. And uh, my job, if I'm putting it uh, eloquently, I'll say I help help employers to navigate the uh, endless array of employment laws at the federal and state level with which they need to comply. If I'm putting it more bluntly, I'm trying to help them avoid getting sued. Understood. So in this, our second podcast, uh, we're going to dive into a more discreet topic. The first podcast was more of an overview. In this second podcast, we're going to talk about the differences between independent contractors and employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really, when I think about it, this segment's geared towards answering three questions. Number one, what is an employee? Number two, what is an independent contractor? And then number three, does it matter which one you actually are? And so I'd love to just hear the two of you talk about that. So Nina, does it matter? Oh my goodness, the $64,000 question, it really matters uh, quite a bit. Often literally. Uh, Exactly, or more. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Because um, uh, for the uh, worker, it, it changes the landscape of the, the rights and uh, protections that they have under the law um, completely. Unlike an employee, an independent contra- contractor has no protection under wage and hour laws that govern minimum wage or overtime pay, under discrimination laws that protect employees from discrimination on the basis of disability, age, gender, national origin, or race, under laws that permit leave, such as FMLA leave, if a worker has to take care of a serious health condition for herself or a family member. Uh, independent contractors have no access to unemployment, no access to workers' comp benefits, and they pay more out-of-pocket taxes than employees <coughs> because they pay the full amount of payroll taxes instead of splitting it with the employer as employees do. So the differences between these two categories and the importance of defining them 
correctly between employees and independent contractors is like night and day. What do you think, Grant? Uh, yes, it's a terribly important distinction. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, Google has been a marvelous thing in many ways, but people often Google the difference and try to decide for themselves. There are a lot of employers who, who decide, well, they can craft the relationship in such a way they think they can push the worker from the category of employee to independent contractor for a lot of the reasons you suggest, to avoid workers' compensation premium expense, to avoid unemployment tax. And uh, many employers get it right, but I'm the, I'll tell you sometimes employers get it wrong too because they're trying to save money because having employees is terribly expensive business. So the thing is, when they get it wrong, they do so at their peril. The, the problem with, uh, of course, there's plenty of incentive out there for employers to classify their workers as independent contractors. But the problem with doing so is if they get it wrong, there are serious consequences that flow from that mistake. And employees who are careless about the manner in which they classify their workers risk substantial liability for these mischaracterizations. For example, the IRS can seek to recover back taxes and other contributions that should have been paid by the employer. Courts can compel employers to compensate workers who were entitled to receive pension and welfare benefits, but they didn't get them because they were improperly classified as independent contractors. As a matter of fact, Microsoft settled one such case for $97 million. Courts can also compel employers to compensate workers misclassified as independent contractors for the overtime they otherwise would have been entitled to had they been properly classified. You take one worker improperly classified and you multiply that by 100 or more workers and that bottom line exposure for the employer is substantial. But you would be the, you'd be the first to agree, I'm sure. There are cases in which employers do engage independent contractors. You really are independent contractors, sure. right? That does go on. It absolutely does, Grant. And I think we're going to figure out in a moment how um, the employer can figure out uh, whether or not they properly classified their worker. Because there's no bright line test or single rule uh, that helps make that determination. And the, the problem is that even the language of the statutes themselves isn't terribly helpful in answering that question. Oh, often. You yes. know, like Title Seven, <laughs> for example, defines employee as an individual engaged by an employer. Oh, that's well, okay. Right, right. Very <laughs> and exactly. An employer is a person engaged in an industry affecting commerce who has 15 or more employees. So one thing is clear. Um, I can tell you one thing. Don't rest on your laurels, employer, and think that just because you issue an, a worker a 1099 or you dub them, you are an independent uh, contractor and you, um, I have my hand up of like I'm knighting someone, you know, with the sword as an independent contractor because those will be irrelevant. Let's talk now about the what factors a court would consider in establishing whether or not a worker is truly an independent contractor or an employee because the operative word here, the watch word for you all to pay attention to, is the word control. Grant? And you're right, there are many different occasions, uh, many different rules that employers should take into account. You'll appreciate this little story. Now, I had a case in which the alleged employer provided business cards to the contractor and uh, submit, sub required the contractors to submit to annual reviews along with the other employees. It's hard to say with a straight face that person's an independent contractor when he's carrying around a business card saying that he works for a certain company. Of course. That makes it hard. Uh, but to your point about the factors that employers have to take into account, we recognize that a lot of what we're discussing can be very dry, if, unless we make real effort to keep it from being dry. So I don't want to throw a lot of rules at you. Having said that, companies, employers that engage independent contractors need to keep this distinction in their minds because, as Nina was saying, if they get it wrong, 
they can get tagged with a lot of potential liabilities, and sometimes liabilities that aren't owed just by the company itself. These are liabilities that often can be imposed on the owners of the company personally, too. A lot of people find that very surprising. So this is a serious issue, and companies that engage contractors or people they think are contractors need to take the time to get it right, take a ready-aim-fire approach, not ready-fire-aim. Um, so to Nina's point, yeah, there are a lot of different rules that, are, that arise under federal law, under state law. Let me just give you a, a few and I'll try to stick to just a few here, factors that courts look at in setting who's an employee and who's a contractor. Uh, one case that, that arises in North Carolina is, says this, an employer-employee relationship exists where the party for whom the work is being done retains the right to control and direct the manner in which the details of the work are done. And frankly, that's pretty much the rule, basically. Wouldn't you agree, Nina? If the, oh. if the company retains the right to control how the work is done, that's a lot of the, the answer right there. That's the watchword that everyone should be mindful of, is the word control. And the more control you have over the manner in which the work is performed, when is it's performed, where it's performed, all of these factors are going to go into an assessment of whether or not you really need to lump that person in the independent contractor uh, box or the employee box. So here's a way to think of it. Perhaps if we just want to tell employers there's a spectrum out there of control versus lack of control. Yeah, that's They understandably great. want to have control over the work that's being done for them. They're paying for it. There's a certain result they want. Sure. And it's human nature for people to want to control other people whom they're paying to do the work. But the more control they impose then the greater the risk these people will be deemed, the worker will be deemed employees, not contractors. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I would agree indeed. And I had a case involving an insurance agent for a very large insurance company. And not only did they have business cards and not only did they have annual reviews, but they had weekly meetings in which their performance was criticized or not. They had requirements that they had to be at work at a certain hour, that they had to be <laughs> right. there a minimum of this amount of time right. and leave. They actually had all of the tools and materials provided to them for them to do their jobs, copier machines, you know, phones, uh, supplies to hang out signs. Everything was provided so by were, the employer. There were a lot of requirements on these workers telling them how to do what they were supposed to do. Exactly. As and opposed to being truly independent. I think people often forget that term tells them a lot. If the I, contractor's independent, then there's no employment. I really like you focusing in on that word, independent. That really is the key. Uh, in, in establishing uh, whether or not the uh, worker is an independent contractor or an employer. If I may, I dealt with a case some time ago in which the workers uh, were accused by the Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor, of being employees, not contractors. The company claimed they were independent contractors. But an investigation revealed that these so-called independent contractors worked exclusively for the company. Right. They derived all of their income from the company. It's awfully hard to say with a straight face that these workers were independent when their paychecks, and I use that term literally, came from the company and nowhere else. So that's one question that some companies should be thinking about if they engage a contractor. Is the company providing the sole means of livelihood to that worker? If the answer is yes, then our advice would be just be aware of this issue because if you deem that person to be a contractor, you may be getting it wrong. And even as you were saying, if the, the company gets it wrong, that means the company's not providing workers' comp insurance which can have real financial consequences for the employer, not providing unemployment insurance, which right. can have real consequences. And right? not funding those uh, that worker's uh, pension benefits and not paying that worker overtime. And all of these numbers can really add up. Um, so it's not, uh, it's not terrain that you want to navigate lightly.
Mm -hmm. and, and as we know, and we, you and I can both talk about this all, a lot, I'm sure, there are all kinds of governmental agencies that might come knocking on the door saying, we think you got this wrong. You treated not just this one person, but as you said, perhaps dozens of people as contractors when we think they're employees and you didn't provide this certain kind of benefit that the, the law says you must provide and therefore we're going to impose a fine on you or perhaps even prosecute you. That's possible under these various laws. What about employers that think that by entering into an independent contractor written agreement that they're saved by that? I love that because, well, that is exactly what I was getting back to earlier with respect to the employer just casting the proverbial sword over the uh, worker's head and saying, I hereby declare that you are an independent contractor. Well, the same thing regarding the contract. Either you are or you aren't, and the contract cannot in and of itself change that fact. Or the 1099 that you issue to the person you wish to be an independent contractor. That cannot change that fact. What can is looking at the totality of circumstances, and that's what the court does. They look at the totality of the circumstances, and they determine uh, whether or not the factors lean more toward employee or, as Will said, independent contractor. And the greater the control the employer has over that worker's work and the less independent that worker is, the more likely that the court will find that she is an employee. So perhaps we should think about the kind of advice that we might give. Well, I should ask you, Nina, what advice would you give to, to companies that say, we want to engage certain kinds of workers we don't want to employ them. We've got enough employees. I don't want to worry about payroll. I just want to hire these people on a very part-time basis to do a very specific task for a limited period of time. What kind of advice would you give to companies to ensure that they characterize these workers properly as contractors so they're not going to be later accused uh, by some people of being employees? <laughs> what advice might you some, give? Some people would be yours truly, I gather. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting that, but just theoretically. <laughs> just theoretically. <laughs> Well, first of all, you sort of identified some of the factors that I already would cons uh, consider um, to be gearing more toward independent contractor than employ uh, employer employee. You talked about it being a discrete project. You talked about being it being for a finite period of time. Um, so those are factors that would go into that analysis as well. The more discrete or the more uh, finite the project, and the more independence you offer that worker in terms of the worker determining when they uh, do the work, how they do the work, mm -hmm, uh, bringing mm -hmm. their own materials and their own um, inventory and maybe their, even their own staff to perform the work. Um, as long as all of those factors are in place and the employer remains um, a beneficiary of that work while not entangled in the day-to-day -day operations of how that work is employed, I think the safer the employer is in... Um, being comfortable that they properly classified that worker as an independent contractor. And if I may, let me actually lapse into a, a brief reading, I promise very brief, from an actual case that talks about some of the factors that are taken into account. This is in the context of workers' compensation and, and North Carolina unemployment law, but it, it applies to so much else we've been discussing. Some of the factors are whether the, the person, the worker, I'll call him, is engaged in an independent business. Uh, that's number one. Number two is to have the independent use of special skill, knowledge, or training. So one of the factors is how highly skilled this person is. If the person brings real skill to the table, that can militate in favor of being a contractor, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the painter, I mean, not everybody can uh, properly paint walls and trim, you that's know, true. Uh, okay. or any kind <laughs> of worker that... Um, that ha brings its own set of skills to the table that is not necessarily 
um, part or an integral part of the employer's business. Two other factors, for example, that the worker is not subject to discharge because he, he adopts one method of doing the work rather than another. Mm -hmm. So if the company is saying, well, I want you to do it my way, not your way, that looks a lot more like an employee, wouldn't you say? I would say that that's another factor that's important, yes. And just with the last one I'll read, that the worker is not uh, in the regular employee of the other contracting party. If, if somebody has a long-term relationship with a company for a very long time, it starts to look a whole lot more like an employment relationship, not an independent contractor relationship, wouldn't you say? Especially if it's an exclusive one, yes. Mm -hmm. that, that's a good point. I often say to my clients, if I were to watch this person working for a week, could I readily tell on site that that person is more independent than the other workers? If the answer is no, then I get kind of worried about that distinction and worried that the company may have called this person a contractor when she's not actually a contractor. Well, I think we can all agree that this is not a cut and dry issue, which is very lucky for all three of us so that we can have jobs <laughs> and feed our families. A lot to think about. That's for sure. But I want to thank both of you for being here today and for sharing all of your time and insights. Oh, it's thank been you. fun. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. We'll do it again. We hope that you have enjoyed this edition of Works For Me, a production of the North Carolina Bar Association's Labor and Employment Section. Find out more about NCBA's Labor and Employment Section on our blog page at ncbarblog.com slash category slash LE and on the Labor and Employment Section page at ncbar.org. You also can follow the NCBA on Twitter at ncbaorg. Until next time, we hope that everything works for you.